0: Alright, welcome. I'd like to get into things pretty quickly today, so I'll just leave a reminder that for anyone who is new to the show, please pause, jump back, check out the quick intro. It gives a lot of great context about what this project is really about, and you might be a little bit confused if you don't, so I, I suggest anyone who's new to, to check that out. That's the intro. It's the very first episode of the show, and it's only about seven minutes long, but those of you who are returning, just another reminder to subscribe to our Substack newsletter. That's impostersanonymous We've got some supplemental content coming out on a weekly basis, so it's the best place to keep tabs on the show and, and show your support. It will always be offered for free, so that's always an option. But anyone that is really getting value from the show and feels compelled to support, that's awesome and, and obviously appreciated. But other than that, we'll jump right into it. So thanks for giving this a shot, and I hope you enjoy. You don't know how lucky you are being a monkey. The past is just a story we tell ourselves. here recording solo again today. It's been a while. Once again, I know the amount of time between these episodes seems to continue to grow and I promise that will not always be the case, but life happens and things have been very busy recently. Lots of things in life have just found their way into my priorities. So yeah. I'm back and glad to be in this position, but also really enjoyed my time away. Spent some time in New York City, spent some time uh, at a wedding, family wedding in the Boston Providence area. So certainly enjoyed that. It was nice to get out. New York City is always a, a mixed bag for me. There's lots of things that I, I love about it. There's lots of things that make no sense to me about it, but we actually got the opportunity to see the immersive Van Gogh experience, which, and hopefully I'm calling that the right thing, but anywho, yeah, if, if you're not familiar, it's it's essentially a immersive experience that is created based on Vincent Van Gogh's artwork. There's lots of projections, Visual effects, essentially a whole space that the floor, the walls, uh, there's some mirror effects, all kinds of things where for, I don't know, I'd maybe say half an hour, you are taken through this kind of psychedelic journey of of his work. And it's, I guess, been traveling the U.S. for a little while now, so certainly not the only place that I could have seen it. And I think it actually was in my hometown. I did not see it. So of course I saw it when I went to New York, where it'd be more expensive. But uh, yeah, it was incredible. I really did enjoy it. And I'm I'm no connoisseur in, in this world. I've only been to probably a handful of notable museums in my life, but it was certainly the most moving and just overall impactful experience I've ever I've ever had in a, an art museum and an exhibit that I feel like just really was nailed. And again, I probably won't represent it very well, but it seems as though essentially those who worked on the visual effects, the engineering, the just overall imagination that it took to pull this sort of exhibit off was, was nearly as impressive as the art itself, that's it's no knock on Van Gogh uh, by any means. But yeah, it just really lived up to the name of, of being immersive. And for that time, you just really get the opportunity to experience his work in a way that very few probably had uh, before this was really put together. And I always was a fan of his work, but to be honest, beyond the the most famous pieces I I really didn't know much and really didn't feel like I understand it understood it on anything more than a surface level but I think given this opportunity it just really was it was special and to be able to spend some real time with it which I've experimented with a little bit in the past and maybe it's something I'll come back to later but it just seems like there's very few things in life these days that we spend a lot of time with or that we just give the opportunity to have an impact on us and to recognize how fluid and dynamic all art and all, I mean, essentially everything really is when you, when you take the time to just be with it. So an experience like this, where you really are supposed to just kind of be in it for an extended period of time. I guess what I was hinting at, I I remember in in college going to a local art museum and just seeing if there was anything that could happen if I just just sat there and, and stared at some of the pieces for long enough. And to be fair, I think this digression doesn't necessarily lead anywhere, but it was certainly something that opened my eyes to what I later learned a lot more about through psychedelics, which is sometimes the actual act of, of being, of doing, of experiencing the world in a, in a more active sense. Whether you're doing an activity with friends or you, you have a task at hand, you really don't fully appreciate or understand what is happening on a more subtle level that one of the kind of classic ways of checking in with yourself on, on psychedelics or in any sort of altered state is to just sit still for a few seconds and focus on one thing. And that is when you realize if the room is moving or whether it's just you, but ultimately, It was a really enjoyable experience, and I came away from it with, uh, I guess, a few different reflections. One being, wow, I I never quite appreciated how psychedelic and nuanced and dynamic Van Gogh's work is, because the way that it's portrayed, it's, it's always moving, which you kind of get that sense when it actually is static from the way that he painted, but in this experience, it really does constantly move. Faces are changing. Artwork is always moving across your field of view. It's, it's never truly static. And I think that at least I hope that's what he was going for with his work. And that was something that I I was given a, I think a unique opportunity to experience. But another piece of it, and it was a small note, I'm sure people were meant to notice it, but when you're walking in, there's a little blurb about, a few blurbs about Van Gogh's life. He died quite young, I believe 37. I guess I say he died. He, he did take his own life, but they mentioned a few things about it. They mentioned the fact that during his lifetime as an artist, he only formally sold one piece of art. And to be fair, I'm not sure how valid that claim is. I know there's some debate about it, so I'm not really here to get into that. But either way, he was never formally successful during his life. He was the kind of quintessential starving artist. He at best sold a handful of paintings to other artists more so traded them for goods services housing food uh things of that nature never really made a living off of his work even in the best possible scenario but a lot of historians really maintain that he, he sold really one piece in his life and it was for a sum that was maybe a, a couple thousand dollars adjusted i guess in current terms so really not much and not really confident off the top of my head but i think one of his most expensive works that's ever sold definitely over 50 probably close to a 100 million dollars is what his art sells for now and of course that's somewhat shocking he's not the only artist who, I guess, suffered this sort of fate where it's kind of tragic, maybe a little comedic, that in his life, he really never saw the success that he obviously went on to see and continues to see now. I mean, they built this entire shrine to his work, his art that is touring across the country. He's one of the most revered and famous artist to ever walk the planet. He's a household name. His work sells for tens of millions of dollars, but no one could have assumed any of that about him in his time. And he's been, you could legitimately say immortalized, idolized after his passing, but he never saw any of that. And it does nothing for him now. We could build a million shrines to him, to his work, statues, memorials, write books. Someone could pay a billion dollars for Starry Night, but it wouldn't impact his life at all, and he's completely gone. And it really begs the question that if he or or any of us, had the choice to, as I said, to be immortalized, to be idolized after we're gone, at the expense of living a glorious, often tortured, and even at least by his own perception, failure-ridden life, what would an individual do in the face of a decision like that? And I think the easy answer is to say, well, of course, One would rather just live a decent life, enjoy it as much as they can, even have a a small amount of success and satisfaction in life, because all the fame and, and glory once you're gone really doesn't help you. But at the same time, I think a lot of people live in that way a lot of people live for how they'll be thought of once they're gone and it's it's not that there's no validity there i mean legacy and what we gift to future generations whether that be genetically or regards to innovations and, and influence and philosophy or whatever it may be is arguably one of the biggest focuses of, of life on earth for humans, but we, it seems as though we almost expect people to be martyrs for their work, their art, their convictions, even their loved ones, which again, generally seems like a, an understandable thing. Most people would die for the people they care about the most for their family members, especially for their children they would give their lives in an instant but to decide whether or not that's a that's a feature or or a bug is a little bit tricky and and what is that what is the visceral response what is just maybe even the response period of the starving artist of today in regards to this somewhat tragic story of Van Gogh is it is it inspiration? Is it to say that even if people don't respect me now, people don't recognize my work now, everyone puts me down, no one believes in me, no one gives me the credit I deserve, but but maybe one day, maybe one day even if I'm a failure by every stretch of the imagination now, that one day I could be one of the most famous artists that ever lived or the most Successful people, in regards to just simple, uh, I guess even beyond name recognition, but just influence overall. He's he's everywhere. They built a immersive experience just to, you know, charge fifty dollars a head to get people to be consumed by his work. And that seems like a possibility for anyone, even if success does not ever fall their way in this life. But obviously on the flip side, there's the, there's the potential to say, well, someone as great, as innovative, as imaginative, and just groundbreaking as Van Gogh and what he did, if even he could not find success and satisfaction and respect how could I and obviously there's there's not any sort of formal answer to these questions but it's it's kind of hard to know how to process it like is it is it freeing to just say well clearly this didn't work out for him he lived a pretty tortured life he ultimately took his own life he was very unwell at the end he generally lived off the generosity of others he suffered greatly on the mental health front I guess something that doesn't truly get talked about as much I mean everyone knows that he cut off his own ear but I think everybody knows that he drank too much but at the same time there was there was an individual in there that was truly struggling from some sort of something on the bipolar spectrum is probably how we'd diagnose it these days but and that's not to say that this was his art the fact that he was a starving artist was the reason that he suffered so much but on some level it it certainly could have been a contributor he it's perfectly possible that he could have lived a a more enjoyable, a more pleasant, a less heavy life if he was, if he elected to be a school teacher or a clerk. It, it's perfectly possible that for someone like him, who was gifted in the ways that he was, that he always would have found his way to art. expression of some sort. So maybe it's kind of a rabbit hole not worth really jumping down, but ultimately it really stuck with me. And I and I left it wondering, how does that make me feel? You know, does it do I feel vindicated? Do I feel do I feel inspired? Does it make me feel as though it doesn't really matter what people think of what I do or my work or my life even while I'm here. Because we never know the eternity after we're gone (laughs) how we'll be perceived, how we'll be remembered. And maybe all we can really focus on is our internal states and how we think about ourselves. But yeah, it goes either way. I'm certainly curious how other people see it. And maybe it's just a glass-half-empty, glass-half-full sort of scenario. But anyhow, since then, I I did have a birthday yesterday, which I think understandably so is is a time when a lot of people reflect, get a little existential, I think back and sort of, uh, I guess, recount the year Think about what's changed. Think about how they've evolved. And so I found myself in that place yesterday. You know, the days leading up to it, just trying to think back, like, what am I the same person I was a year ago? And then, of course, no, not in every way, but in the large majority of ways, certainly. And it's it's been a weird year and a half. I guess maybe two years almost at this point for everyone. And time has really flown by, really crawled by at times. And it's been a time of great change and just a, a weird time to try to navigate for individuals. And there's always been something, there's always been a distraction. There's always been anxiety. There's always been uh, a certain desire to, to get back to normalcy, uh, sort of looking over one's own shoulder, sort of feeling all the time. So I think for many, it's it's kind of an uncomfortable year to reflect back on. I think for many, it's been a time to reprioritize and and to learn and some positive things as well. And I think i find myself somewhere in the middle there but ultimately started to think back and i i guess had the pleasure of, of coming across a poem by david white yesterday called maturity and as you might imagine it it really digs into what it means to mature mm-hmm. and evolve as an individual so i picked it out specifically yesterday and Figured it was fitting, but yeah, it was, it's a short poem and I'll try my best to represent it well, but it essentially just gets into what what that word maturity truly means. And I think for some, it's, it's obviously about getting older, being more experienced, being less petty. Uh, understanding what is important and what's not i think those are all pretty low-hanging fruit but something interesting that white brought to the table is this idea of being able to live fully and equally in the past present and future which for me at first is at first was uh, a little hard to process and I'm certainly someone who spends a lot of time trying to focus on the present, trying to be mindful. It's a it's a big part of my daily life, and something that, for me, I feel like is a is a very important tool. But at the same time, I'm only so mature. So I think what is presented in this notion is that we're always kind of in this transitory state sure the present is now but what we do now is is a direct reflection of what we did in the past and what we'll do in the future is is a direct reflection of what we're doing right now so these labels we put on time can get pretty arbitrary and ensure a lot of times we're talking about way in the future or way in the past. You're thinking about your childhood, you're thinking about retirement. Sometimes it doesn't seem particularly helpful, but in a way we have to be able to integrate it all. We have to be there fully and equally for, for all three of these states and understand that who we are, what we've done in the past, being able to accept that story, honestly, of, how we got here and resisting to urge resisting the urge to sometimes say i'm entirely different especially people who maybe have had transformative experiences who've had trauma who've had significant hurdles they've had to overcome whatever it may be sometimes it it almost is a tool to distance yourself from your past from your mistakes from the person that you used to be, but it's still you, and it's just as much a part of you as the current you and the future you, which sure gets a little bit abstract, but the point being, you really have to accept and integrate all of these states, almost similar to Jung's metaphor of the shadow, that it's not necessarily about rejecting the shadow or are saying that being able to resist your more negative impulses or your animal nature as some might put it that sure we, we don't want people walking around being totally driven by reaction and impulse and strict instinct but we want people to be able to accept and, and not simply suppress what they are and who they are at base and mm-hmm. in what it's like to be an individual where you're, you're not really fully in control and things just come to be sometimes whether you believe in free will or not there's i think everyone can acknowledge that certain reactions emotions experiences are, are involuntary mm-hmm. and we can't expect anyone to Live their whole lives in a healthy manner by simply pushing things down or saying what i did in the past that's just not me anymore being able to accept the past and say that was that was a necessary step it was important for me to experience that it was important for me to make that mistake it's it's they're intimately intertwined and, and there's no way to really divorce them and who we're becoming is you know that the state of being and present is, is kind of becoming something else. We're always evolving. We're always changing. We're always heading somewhere. And it's, it's quite a challenge to be able to take all of that in stride and not to be overwhelmed. But I think sometimes maturity is, as far as I can understand it, is, is resisting the rigidity that sometimes it's helpful to get us out of a rut or a difficult situation to make things black and white but the more we can over time recognize that the past the present the future they're not all that different and it's sure it's not helpful to lament about the past or to live in the past and the same can be said about the future but if we can experience these things these states fully and equally simultaneously, that there's something incredibly valuable there. And to be honest, it's not something I, by any means, fully understand. And maybe that's a statement. Maybe that speaks to my immaturity, and that I have a lot to learn, and a lot of room to grow. But it was a rather interesting meditation to go through. And it's something I'll certainly be focusing on this year. And hopefully, taking some steps towards just breaking down more and more of those barriers, and resisting the urge to be so rigid in in the ways in which I tend to try to protect myself or um, really support or bolster my ego. But ultimately, after that, I I reflected a little bit more on the past year, the past 365 days, and what's really changed, what's influenced me the most. And it all kind of seemed like a blur at first, which was a little bit concerning. Um, But once I slowed down and, and took a little time to think, a few things stood out. And I'd say that the last probably two years, of my life have been unfortunately somewhat riddled with relatively minor physical injuries and and some minor to mild health struggles. And throughout my life, I've, I've had my share, typically nothing crazy, but it's something that certainly has been a big part of the last year of my life has been constantly being in this state of, of trying to rehabilitate. And obviously anyone who's broken a bone or torn a tendon knows what that's like in a functional sense to have to go to physical therapy or whatever it may be. But been dealing with some more chronic issues, some difficult edge cases, um, some situations that conventional means just aren't particularly helpful in regards to. So I've been on a daily basis, just been faced with this harsh reality that, and I think it's something I've spoken to before on the record, but that in order to truly have a chance at healing from anything physical, mental, and emotional, you have to, once once an issue has become chronic, once it's been sustained for an amount of time and your body has adapted to that injury, to that trauma, whatever it may be, you have to re-injure yourself, essentially. You you have to consistently traumatize yourself on a on a smaller scale in a controlled setting with a high degree of awareness of what. Is too far and, and what is too much. And that is a really uncomfortable thing to have to come to terms with because it's very counterintuitive. And when you have an injury, you, you want to stay off of it, you want to work around it, and your body understands that. And people break bones, they fully tear muscles, and a lot of times they can fully recover without surgery just by their body finding ways to work around the injury. People lose legs. They lose senses uh, you know, and still find ways to be perfectly functional. So life finds a way, the body finds a way. But if you want that injury itself to fully heal, you have to tackle it head on. And that's relatively obvious, but much easier said than done. Of course, you have to do the work. Everyone understands that it's it's not just going to get better on its own, but on a daily basis just having to remain in that state of though this is painful, this is uncomfortable, this is discouraging, I've been doing this for months and it feels no better, that sort of experience on, on various levels has, has really typified the last year for me, but to be able to see progress very very slow progress but progress nonetheless has been quite encouraging so it's i'm certainly not i'm in a much better place than I was a year ago and I'm I'm very happy about that but it is something that has been particularly particularly salient for me to come to that realization experientially because I think there's so many things in life that we we know the advice We know the conventional sayings, the adages, the the billboards, whatever it may be in life. It's not like I've never been told that this is the way to overcome, to heal on all fronts. But to really experience that in the face of, of serious roadblocks and complications, it really has allowed it to, to hit home in a way that I don't think is possible until you just see it, you feel it, you go through it. So that's certainly been interesting, but very much valuable to be able to see that happen on a physical level and to be able to begin to think about applying that in ways that I guess are even more daunting on a, on a mental and an emotional level. But coming to terms with that truth, I hope will open more doors for me. I tried to think about if there were any specific quotes that have really stuck with me in the past year, and only one really came to mind. And I I heard it only a few months ago, so I guess it's relatively recent. And I'm sure it's not the first time I've heard it, but It's been on my mind pretty much ever since, and I'm not going to be able to attribute this properly, so to whoever said it first, sorry, but it's the general notion that you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with. And of course, five is an arbitrary number, but it's an incredibly interesting exercise to really sit down with and just say, okay, let me do the math in my head. Let me just really think about this. Who are the five people that I spend the most time influencing, being influenced by in conversation with in communion with. And I think for some people it's very easy. For some people it maybe gets a little more complicated people who have maybe a lot of friends who they spend an average amount of time with it might not be so clear i think anyone who's in a relationship obviously that's one person maybe they're a parent or two that's another two and then you could maybe say uh, one or two best friends round out that top five, but, and, and of course it's, it's intuitive that we are constantly being influenced by those around us and that one ought to be selective about who they spend the most time with and who they allow into their life period. But when you really take the time to think about it, that you're the average of those five people. How does that really make you feel? I mean, really, it's, uh it's a loaded question because I don't know if anyone feels like they're in perfect balance or that being right in the middle of those five people is exactly where they want to be. And maybe some people do maybe by chance, maybe by intention. But that, of course, essentially says that two and a half of those people are people that you aspire towards. Not that you want to be them, but that they have a significant number of qualities. There are many dimensions of their life that you take notes from, that you would like to have for yourself whether it be emotionally or intellectually, in regards to their career, their education, their level of compassion, whatever it may be, that it's, it's definitely an exercise that I don't think a lot of people really consider. And I think a lot of the time who we spend the most time with is, is most convenient, really to spend the most time with, it's our coworkers, it's, I guess, maybe more traditionally, our neighbors, people who live in proximity to us, people who go to the same social spots that we do. I guess if you're in school, that's where you make a lot of your friends. They're just people that you're around, the people who are in your class, people that sit next to you. And it doesn't feel like a very active choice when you break it down like that. Obviously, a lot of it just comes down to chemistry and who do you get along with and who you share interests with. But again, a lot of that is convenience. But if we really wanted to be exactly in the middle, and of course it gets a little complicated since it insinuates that you would have two and a half friends that you kind of look down on in a way, but I don't think that's truly the point because I think we have to look at individuals holistically and everyone has strengths and, strengths and weaknesses and aspects of their life in which they have more going for them than others. But maybe it's something I don't have to dig into so far but just think about it and, and consider if you ought to be a little more selective or maybe even a little less selective. And it's not just about intelligence or success, it's, it's about everything. And it's important to regularly audit the situations that we put ourselves in regularly. And if there's people in your life that have qualities that you really respect and would like to model Maybe it's important to put more effort into spending time with these people, because time spent is very much undervalued, I think, and in modern times, it seems curious how enamored people can be with their pets. We have dogs and cats at home. Sometimes it seems uh, a little crazy to care about them so much, to be so invested in them, to talk about them so much, but... It's a common phenomena, and I think a lot of it is we just spend so much time with them. They're there all the time. They're always with us. We, we spend all of their lives spending most of our days together. And though they can't necessarily talk to us in the same way that our human peers can, they're, they're always there, and we're always in relation to them, and that means something. Even if it doesn't seem as deep as human connection, time spent is important. And sometimes I think we don't make the effort to spend time with those who we really would like to. And I think sometimes we settle for relationships that aren't ideal for us or that don't push us in the direction that we want to go just because they're convenient. So ultimately, that's been a big one for me. Beyond that, I'd say Zen Buddhism. I guess I touched on this in my last solo episode a bit, so I won't really dig there. But it's just been something that has been encouraging me to, as I spoke to earlier about the David White poem, just to to be a little less rigid and to, to be a little, to avoid always being so driven to over-intellectualize everything and then to try to think through and apply logic to everything as though there's always an answer and there's always a way to solve a problem and to be able to recognize the fundamental sameness of the universe. And to acknowledge that, that some of the absurdity at play and a lot of the biggest questions of life is actually sometimes helpful because it allows us to recognize, oh, I, I'm simply not going to understand that. I'm not getting anywhere by just turning my wheels. And some of this is just anxiety. It's just tension. It's just It's just my ego. It's just control that I'm hanging on to and to be able to accept more, to be open to more and, and to resist the urge to always want to show the two sides, the good and the bad, to apply those labels. I think it's something that just really has been helpful for me in the past year and really is at the heart of Zen Buddhism. And I by no means consider myself a Buddhist, but just the general teachings on that front have, have been really challenging for me, but also allowed me to sometimes just accept things for what they are a little bit easier and, and to avoid turning over so much past the point of utility. I guess the last thing I'll make a note about would be just a uh I guess the last thing I'll make a note about is, I guess, what I might call radical empathy. That I I find myself, I find my capacity for empathy on some fronts to be a a wick that is quickly burning out, but on others, one that seems nearly endless. And hopefully I get to a point where it feels more broadly applicable, but in a certain spectrum of of suffering and experience through though it certainly hasn't been just a year, but through some of the particularly challenging experiences in the past year in regards to being able to understand people around me who are dealing with things that that are so beyond what I can truly empathize with but even just being able to get a, a small glimpse of those states and even being faced with the problem of trying to even if it's ultimately a bit fruitless it's something that i've i've found to be valuable to in in all situations be able to really try to consider what it's like To be the other person to be on the other side of it to be someone who really comes by whatever opinion or life decision that i would otherwise look at and reject and have negative feelings towards but to be able to just consider what would what it would take for that to be a a genuine i wouldn't even say mistake but just something that they come by honestly and that they couldn't do any differently if they tried and I guess just having someone close to you really live on the fringes of human experience and suffering, and to at times feel so distant from that, but also have a deep desire to, to understand and, and to be in support of, it, it really has allowed me to, in just more and more situations, have a, a more radical sense of, of empathy and to at least just try to entertain what it might be like and what sort of good-faith answer there might be to this very ugly problem. I guess when I say ugly, I mean on its face, more aesthetically ugly problem that is sticky and much easier to just kind of push off. So... That's been another major insight from this last year and something I, I hope to continue to build on is just how how far can it go and, and how far should it go? You know, Is there a certain point at which empathy isn't helpful? Are there certain things that shouldn't be empathized with? Uh, I don't know. I don't think I've gotten there yet, but hopefully we'll see in this next year. And I think for now I'll wrap things up. I appreciate you all staying tuned. I appreciate you listening to the end. I really do intend to, over these next few weeks, start to get back into the swing of things of uh, releasing more regular episodes with other guests and some solo ones as well. Life is starting to settle down a little bit personally, so hopefully I can get back into a more regular schedule. But for all of you who still are listening, thank you so much. Uh, I really enjoy doing this and it means a lot that there's people out there who are making time for it so again thank you your attention really does matter to me so i will try not to take that for granted and i'll let you go but enjoy your week and i'll see you next time